is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. Uh, yeah, that's Katy Perry that we started the show with because apparently that was the number one song in America the day that this draft went down. Uh, we're <laughs> going to be covering the 2010 NBA draft. We have a special guest, the second tallest guest we've ever had. He's back again from uh, Mr. Motor City, who's from the Pistons Pulse podcast, Bryce Simon. Bryce, thank you. Thank you for coming back, man. Nah, thank you guys for having me. I always enjoy me and Keith go back along. We were talking about summer league. Me and Keith two years ago, not quite two calendar years because of the COVID year and his pushback, right. but we got to watch a game in person, meet in person. We've been friends since. Mike, I appreciate you. We interact a little bit more and more all the time on Twitter. Who, who was taller than me? Who'd you guys have that was taller than me? Oh, Grant. So. Grant Hill, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take second there. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, that's it's all right to be number two when, when it comes to height. I mean, you're still you're still taller than both of us. Yes, uh, yes. So today we got the 2010 NBA draft, as we as we mentioned before, and we'll get into that. But first, there's some things that we need to talk about. Free agency started last Friday, and uh, the Pistons they did nothing, uh, nothing at all. They well, Keith, don't give me that look. They didn't sign anybody. They didn't do anything. Go. They traded for Joe Harris and Monte Morris, which is fine. Those are two great pickups, but good Lord, Troy, do something. Uh, Bryce, you're our guest. Let's hear from you first. What are your thoughts? I mean, you missed the biggest trade was they traded Balsa for cash as well. Nobody's even talking about <laughs> this. Um, listen, I am I think, feel like I'm known as the eternal optimist in the Pistons world. Um, I, I don't know if I truly am or not. I'm okay with what happened, to be honest with you, Mike and Keith. What are they going to do? Go overpay for somebody that I don't know that they raised the ceiling that much. I don't know that we know what this young core is yet anyway. And until I know what my young core is, I don't know that I want any long-term contracts. I think Joe Harris and Monte Morris are quality players that space the floor, which is what Pistons fans always complain about wanting now you have a bunch of really good shooters on expiring contracts. Here's what I will say, Mike. I, I will admit to this. The time is coming, though, right? Like, Troy has to make the move, and it's becoming way, way sooner than later. But I'm okay with how this offseason has gone. Like, I, I truly am. Like, I, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't sexy, but I'm okay with it. I get that. Normally, I'm, you know, I'll I'll be pretty chill about this. and And, but... But come on, man. We can't just be the expiring contract team forever. Like you gotta do something. You gotta make a move. You gotta you gotta do something to 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 at least make it feel like this team is going in a direction. I don't know what it is. I like I really don't know. How are, we're in like year three now and there's no direction. I don't know what this team wants to do. Can I ask real quick, Keith? I'd be either, but like I feel like this is the best roster he's had preseason, though. Like, I don't think this roster is that bad. No, it all depends on how good the young guys are. 
but you got some guys that can shoot and play. Like, yes, the defense is concerned. The four spot is concerned, but someone posted the 2020 roster the other day. I was like, are you kidding me? This roster is way better, way better. And the core four that year, guys, was Killian, Stu, Bay, and Saban Lee. Saban Lee. Yeah. Compare that to Cade, Ivy, Duran, and Asar, no matter what you think about Asar. So, Keith, I know you're chomping at the bit to get in on this. I'm, I'm interested to see your thoughts. All right, so I'm kind of with you. And the funny thing about that that 2020-2021 team, I mean, were you call, were you referring to 2020 or 2021? Just out of just to I be clear, it was the first year back from COVID. So okay, it so be twenty twenty. Yeah, uh, it was, rookie year. The year Blake yeah. started the season on the roster. Rose started the season on the roster. Okay, and and the thing, the interesting thing is, I think most people would agree that that team was, despite losing a lot of games, was way way more competitive yes. uh, than, than the than the Pistons were last season. Agreed. They, they lost a lot of games, but they were a lot of close games. You had you had guys on that team that aren't in the league anymore. But they, they were competing to win at – like, they were in a position to win a whole lot of games at the end. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Uh, but but the point is, it isn't necessarily all about talent is what I'm getting at. I, I think last year – and I, th- I thought Dwayne Casey – look, it's easy to criticize him for his, his win-loss record in Detroit, but the bottom line is he was not given a very good roster. And I think last year just kind of wore, wore on him. I thought he did, he did uh, outstanding – I think that's pretty strong, but I'm I'm going to stick with it. I thought he did an outstanding job in both 2021 and 2022 of keeping the ship together, keeping the Pistons competitive, even though he, he wasn't in any position to win games. Last season, I thought a little bit of the opposite. I just thought year after year of tanking just wore on him, and he kind of just let go of the – he just kind of let go of the reins, and the thing just tumbled into a downhill spiral. I don't think the talent on this team is nearly as bad as their record was. They have to show it, but my point is, I think having Monty Williams and an outstanding coaching staff uh, behind him is going to lead to a little bit more structure and a lot more wins than I think people are anticipating. Uh, as far as the offseason goes, I, I get it. Uh, Monty Morris and Joe Harris isn't going to really excite anyone, but I, I do agree with Bryce that th- this roster's not that bad. Look, um, the, the whole thing with the, the the going for it mentality, yeah, he has to go for it. He has to engage, Troy Weaver does, uh, at some point before he start. He has to start extending Cade Cunningham, which as we we saw this last week, it's going to cost him a ton of money uh, whether the Pistons are winning or not. So he's not going to have all of this cap flexibility or as much as we're thinking uh, going forward. He has to sometime in the next 12 months make that big uh, strike, make that big move. As far as the roster goes, and I'm going to – say this at the end um i think the people most of people uh people's problems are is that uh james wiseman and, and marvin bagley are still on the roster and i think they are each other's biggest problem i think if we just had one of those guys on this team nobody would care because at the very worst they're both capable backup centers and i i think if you poll piston fans i think their, their biggest uh wish at this moment is a uh power forward because we don't let's let's admit it the, the pistons have a lot of centers they have a lot of guards they have very few wings and they don't have one single traditional power forward what i think people are missing is that it may be troy uh and monty's intention to start the season with uh, isaiah stewart at power forward 
it may not be. I think there's probably a move coming to to rebalance the roster a little bit, but that could be their intention. I mean, their next move to reba- rebalance the roster could just be a, a regular veteran uh, backup traditional four type. We we don't really know yet. Uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was one of the people who was at obviously hoping for Cam Johnson, but you know, that seemed like a, you know, something that wasn't going to happen. And I I get that, but I just would, would have liked to, because here's the problem. We, you know, we keep being told you got to wait till 2023, wait till 2023, 2023 is the year that everyone expects this team to go for it. And here we are in 2023. And I, I feel like we're not, you're right. The the roster is better than it was in 2020 and 2021. But I still feel like we're sitting in the same place that we were before. But I I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it looks like Keith is frozen. So it's just me and you, Bryce, for a second. Uh, no. So I, I just want to yeah. say, I, I think nobody wants to hear this. And I get it. I truly do, Mike. Like, I get it. I truly understand. But I think because of the injury to Cade, it did set things back a year. I tweeted this out the other day. Those young guys, Cade, Ivy, Duran, and obviously Asar, you haven't even got 75 games out of any one of those guys. And so I think my my biggest reason for being okay with slow playing this, Mike, is I don't know that we actually know what we have yet. What if Cade is truly special and Ivy's special and Jalen's special? Then that lets you know what guy you need to add to this rotation. What if two of those guys aren't? What if only one of them is? You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that's where I'm at is – I just I would like to have a little bit more data on those guys before I make the big swing. And that might be as soon as the trade deadline. You know, the trade deadline you may be able to do that definitely in the offseason. So that's kind of where I stand as being more okay with it is I want to know exactly or have a little more understanding of who my young core is before I make that big splash to add to it. Yeah, no, I mean I I, I get that. Uh there are a lot of unknowns with this team for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I understand. And I guess we'll see where, where that goes. Um, well, while we wait for Keith to come back in, uh, let's talk, let's talk a little bit broader about the, the NBA itself. Damian Lillard <laughs> has requested a trade from the Portland trailblazers. And apparently there's only one team he wants to play for. And, and I, I, I find myself a little bit torn between the idea of, you know, Portland should take care of one of their, greatest players of all time and man it's not fair to portland that they have to trade him to only one team uh where do you stand on that i mean i think i'm okay with what portland's doing right now at least playing hardball in the media right i think that's the game you have to play as much as you i I have a fine line here too like but they may want him a championship like he, he didn't bring a championship to portland as much as he's been loyal to them and so I mean, even guys that have, sometimes I'm like, this is the nature of the business, Mike. Like this is, this is professional sports. Whenever your time comes, that organization has how many ever more years they got to look out for themselves. And so I'm okay with them playing a little bit of hardball. Um, if more than it, I think it's probably hardball with the heat saying like, you're not going to give us the Bradley Bill return. And obviously Dame's a better player, but you're not going to give us that return because Dame doesn't have a no trade clause. And you know what else? We already have our young backcourt of the future and we'll play those guys. So they have a lot more leverage than what the Wizards has. With that said, I would be, 
it would be unfair for me not to say like I, I would like to see them treat him the right way because yeah. I've given Troy Weaver love for that with sending Derrick Rose to the Knicks and some things like that. I do believe there's some of those things because you have to work with that agent again and you know all of those things. So there's a, there's an aspect of it, but I understand the Blazers wanting to get or at least try to leverage the most they can. No, I I, I totally get that. I I mean. The Lions, you know, for example, did that with Matthew Stafford, where they traded him where he wanted to go, and and it, and I guess it, at the end of the day, it's it's all worked out so far for for both sides. Um, the Lions haven't won a Super Bowl yet, but but things worked out. They got a lot of good draft capital out of it, and uh, but so I I just don't know how that really plays out in the NBA. What you know, uh, I I just think that I mean, if I were Portland, I would say thank you, Dave. We really appreciate it, but we've got to do what's best for Portland. Like we, you know, we we need to move you somewhere where we can get the best return. Uh, but we'll do our best to try to make sure it's not like you know a bottom five team or something like that. Well, that's my thing. I don't feel like I've heard of any of the teams that I would just be like, I, I don't know. Brooklyn's probably not attractive to him because it's get you know it's just not going to be good enough to really be a contender. But I mean it's just tough. It's tough. I I understand both sides of it because, you know, I know I talked about how Dame had never brought him a championship, but he's shown them a lot, a lot of loyalty and he's won them a lot of games and a lot of big playoff games, took them to a Western conference finals. But I mean, they got to do what's best for them. They got, like I say, they got scoop and they have Shaden sharp and they have Jeremy Grant for 35 million. Like good thing. Dame and Jeremy Grant are such good friends. So he could let Jeremy <laughs> get that contract before he requested the trade. But, um, you know, that they, they got a jump start on this rebuild. And I would assume the Blazers think, hey, we can we can do this thing fairly quickly if we get the right return. And, you know, so that one will be interesting along with James Harden. You know, I, I don't I don't know how long this stuff is gonna last into the offseason. We'll probably break it while we're all at summer league, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. James Harden is another one. It's just like, you know, I'm all for the pay, player empowerment era, like you know, I guess players should be able to play where they want, but man, it'd be really nice if some of these guys would just stay put for a little while and let things play out. Like Philly is so close, I think. Um, but they just can't seem to hold down any of these play. You know, they should have never traded Jimmy Butler. I mean, that's a few years ago, but it's like some, just some things like, I don't know. It's just, it'd be nice if some of these teams would kind of stay put and, uh, and see where things go. But well, that's the thing with Dane too. Like Dane may would say, all right, Brooklyn, you can give a better offer, but I'm just going to demand a trade as soon as I sit down in Brooklyn too, you know? So even though he doesn't have a no trade clause, he does have a, he does have leverage in that way where Brooklyn can't give up a bunch of picks and assets and whatever, bring Damian Lillard to town. And then he's going to be unhappy or demand a trade as soon as he can be traded again. So again, I'm kind of like you, I like that these guys have power. It's the same thing with college athletes, right? I like that college athletes have this NIL money now and have the transfer portal and all that. But with everything, with everything, there is a negative side of it where it can swing a little bit too far or get abused by some people. I'm not saying Dame's abusing it, but I'm just saying there's a negative side to it. You know, NIL has, look at Hunter Dickinson, Mike. I mean, he's at Kansas because Kansas paid him. He got paid and good for Hunter. Like, I mean, great for him, but it, it just, it's changed the landscape of things and you know, sometimes I hate it that that's what decisions are being based on, based on, but I mean, that's huge for these kids and their families. 
Yeah, NIL is 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 man, it's crazy. Uh, it, it's nice to see some of these athletes getting getting paid. Um, I don't know if people like Baby Gronk should be getting money though, but that's wow, that's that's a sad sad story there. But um, but yeah, we're still waiting for for Keith to get on. He's having some PC problems. Uh, I'm sorry, Bryce, and I'm sorry to everybody listening. We're just kind of droning on a little bit. But, I, you know, uh, while we got you, we'll continue a little Pistons talk. You know, I, what are your thoughts on – we talked about Asar a little bit. and yep. But what, do you, what are your thoughts on Marcus Sasser? Because I think that there's a – that's kind of a steal there. Yeah, I like Marcus a lot. I understand. I know people question, like, oh, you're trading two second-round picks to move up six spots or whatever it was. I don't know. Like, I guess I just got to trust that Troy Weaver knew the draft board and knew that Sasser was not going to last to 31, right? I, I, you just have to trust your intel. That's information none of us could know. And so if he knew that Sasser was going to be off the board before 31, I'm okay with that. You can find ways to recoup second round picks. We've already seen it, right? Taking on Joe Harris. So I like Sasser. He's a guy we talked a little bit about throughout the pre-draft process. I, that guard's room in general though mike is very interesting i mean even if yeah. let's say you even play joe at the three kate and ivy are starting i think monty's gonna play and then you have alec burke still who i think is a really quality player off the bench that's a really good backcourt duo but then you still have killian and sasser and so as much as i like sasser i kind of wonder if he gets brought along really slowly just because of that room and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but a guy that can stretch the floor space the floor and then really defends mike I think that's a really good addition to this team. And the nice thing with him is he can play off of Cade. He can play with the ball in his hands a little bit. So, um, you know, lacks some versatility because he's so short. But, uh, you know, that's why he's not a starter, right? That's why he wasn't a lottery pick because he's only 6'2 or whatever it is. Right. Well, it seems like, you know, the the popular idea out there on Pistons Twitter right now is that Killian's probably going to get moved. You see that happening? Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm not even a Killian like stand. Like I'm not his biggest supporter. I wanted to see Killian for 50 games with Monty Williams and in this system just to see how he looked. But I, I I've also been one to say I think a change of scenery may be the best thing for Killian. I mean, he just his confidence ebbs and flows, man. We saw it for a couple months and he was confident it looked good. And then, you know, then it went South. And I just wonder if a change of direction would be, or change of scenery, excuse me, would be best for him. And I, as crowded as that room is, I wonder if that's what we get because you can't have Killian Hayes being your sixth guard. That doesn't even make sense for anybody. That definitely doesn't make sense for him. So he would be in a better situation somewhere else in that scenario anyway. Yeah. I feel like he, you know, you just kind of cut your losses on that one and, it just didn't work out, you know, and, and sometimes that's just, you know, it's like a James Wiseman type situation where it just didn't work out in Golden State, but it seems to be working out in Detroit. Maybe, maybe Killian could go find a spot somewhere else and, and, and get a shot. You know, I, I mean, he's, a, I think he's a great defender. Yep. I think, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, but in, in terms of his shooting ability, I, he, he seems to lack confidence. Um, he doesn't want to take the shot when he, when he gets the opportunities and, and, you know, and he, a lot of times he's missing. So it's, it's, I get it. Um, Alec Burks is another one that, you know, seems like, like he's a great player, but he also seems like a, a guy that maybe a team that wants to win a championship is trying to trade for at some point. Well, and that's what, you know, I think Keith talked about a little bit with Wiseman and Bagley 
where there's probably not enough minutes for both of those guys, especially if you want to play Stewart at least some minutes at the five, which I would, even though I'm fine with them getting him quite a few minutes at the four, I think he should still play minutes at the five because I think in the playoffs, that's where he's the best. I just feel like a consolidation of, I'm not saying all of these guys, Mike, but some combination of Wiseman or Bagley, Hayes, Burks, something like that. Like some combination of that and go get a four man that we were talking about earlier, whether it's an actual starter, just a a guy to back up. If you're going to start Stu, whatever it is, um, you know, like Tobias Harris is a name. You're, You're not getting Tobias Harris for that. I'm not saying that, but like, you know, that's, Somebody like that. Um, oh, DeAndre Hunter was another name that's been coming up. Again, I don't know. Yeah. You're not getting DeAndre Hunter for that. But, you know, somebody like that, probably a little lesser version, obviously. You know, whoever that would be, just to kind of balance the roster out. And then all of a sudden, I think you're in a good spot. You got Boyan and Asar at the three, Stu and player X at the four. You have Duran and Wiseman or Bagley, whichever one you don't trade at the five. You got all those guards left. To me, that roster really makes sense. You're getting me a little excited here, Bryce. I'm getting a <laughs> well, little, I'm ready. That, I'm ready for <laughs> that. That would have to happen though. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, but you know, and that's what's interesting too, Mike is there's some guys that I think Pistons fans like that aren't going to get to play. Like where, where are Isaiah livers minutes coming from right now? You know, where, where, where's, where's he at in the rotation? Because you can't go, you can, but how many NBA teams go past 10 on a regular night in a competitive NBA game? And that's the other thing, Mike. I do think they're trying to win every night. There's going to be nights where maybe you play 10 guys in the first half, and then you play like eight guys in the second half. You know what I mean? And so minutes are going to get squeezed for some of these guys. Livers did have an interesting tweet this morning. I don't know if you saw that. I I didn't. can't remember exactly what it said, but it had something. It was something to the effect of, like times change or something like that, which made everyone kind of think, well, maybe he, maybe he's going to get dealt. I, I, I don't know that, you know, there's this idea of that, that we have here in Detroit, as you know, the, where it's like, let Troy cook and like, just like his, his moves may not make sense right now, but they, maybe they'll make sense later when he does a bunch of maneuvering around. So I, I, I don't know what's coming. Um, but I, I am happy that here in uh, just a few short days that we're going to get a taste of Pistons basketball, even if it's just a little tiny well, taste. So that one will be interesting too, because there's, there's that's a very talented roster, at least for the first game or two, Mike. But I was reading James Edwards this morning, and the his, his projected starting lineup was Ivy, Asar, Livers, Wiseman, Duran, or something like that. And I'm like... that that lineup does not have a lot of shooting that will be an interesting lineup um in terms of floor spacing with uh Duran and Wiseman on the floor together I can't remember if it was a SAR and Livers I know one was a SAR but anyway like it just I was like man that will be that's a lot of talent a lot of players we want to see but that's going to be an interesting you know kind of just lineup construction yeah All right. Hey, well, we found Keith. He's back. Uh, technical difficulties. We're really sorry about that, everybody. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just something that happens in, in this game sometimes, you know. Uh, Bryce, you were actually just telling me that, that you kind of had a, a problem like this once, too. Yeah, man, it's technology, right? So I was telling the guys, uh, if you guys don't know the backstory, before the Pistons Pulse, there was the Motor City Hoops podcast. 
about six months in, my co-host leaves and I just go solo the guest route. Keith was one of my first guests actually doing did an incredible two-part episode of Pistons history. We actually had to skip the Till era and then bring him back on later. It ended up like a three-part series, but it was yeah. so, so much fun um, doing that. And I learned so much, but like the third one in, I get Rod Beard. He was the Detroit news beat writer at the time. Obviously now he's an editor. Mike Curtis has taken over. We do a whole hour long episode guys. And it ends none of it saved. And it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like I didn't hit record. I had hit record. It just, something had gone wrong. Didn't save any of it. And it was the coolest thing. I messaged Rod and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like what? He's like, no, we'll re-record it in a couple of days. We set up a time a couple of days later, redid the entire episode. And this was huge for me at that time because I was just kind of trying to get it going and and blow up a little bit. And it, it, it was so cool. So um, it happens to everybody. Yeah, you know, I, I had a similar thing. I was recording a podcast when I was with Pride of Detroit and I had Herman Moore on. It was like a big deal to me because yes, I love Herman. Be. Yeah. Um, and we recorded the whole podcast. And when I went to go listen back and edit, literally none of it, you couldn't understand anything. It was just unintelligible. Like it was all, and, and we never did get to re-record it. We put out oh, what, no. what was, yeah, we put out what, what we were able to get and it wasn't much. So, but yeah, it, just, it happens. Um, but Hey, now that we got Keith back, let's go ahead and uh, we'll jump into the 2010 draft. Keith, if you're still there. I am. I'm not hear... going anywhere this time, I promise. <laughs> let's hear some news and notes on this draft. So, yeah, the, the 2010 NBA draft, uh, coming off of a draft class, which I think is one of the best we've ever done, uh, the 2010 draft class was not quite that good. It, it is notable for a couple of things. Uh, one, the the international presence. Uh, we, we had more than one international player taken in the first round. However, we only had one player taken in the, in the first round that didn't play uh, amateur ball uh, locally in the United States for, for college or whatever. Uh, we also have uh, the era of John Calipari is now upon us. Uh, as the University of Kentucky in, in Calipari, I think that was his first full season at Kentucky uh, became the very first school to send five uh, players to the first round of the NBA draft. And it, it, this is uh, something that Calipari would duplicate uh, several years later. So th th this was the beginning of Kentucky being a one and done uh, NBA factory. Yeah. There's a couple of guys that came out of this, John Wall, Mark's cousins, uh, all all those guys are going to go today. So, yeah, not, uh, not only not only was was Wall a a very successful NBA player, it's the guy that was essentially uh, the second string point guard in Kentucky also made quite a bit of money in the NBA. Uh, Kentucky has always been stacked with NBA talent, even though they haven't always gone as far as maybe they should have in the NCAA tournament. Well, that's John Calipari for you. Just get him to the league. That's all he cares about. Get him to the league. Uh, all right. Well, I have the number one pick in this draft, uh, and I am going to be taking the Washington Wizards pick. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, this one is I, – I really, I think this is probably the easiest pick of the entire draft. I think everything else from this point on is going to be a little bit difficult, in my opinion. Uh, I'm going to take Paul George. 
I I think he's the best player in this entire draft. Uh, the Wizards don't really have much right now. I think they've got, uh, let's see, Nick Young is on the team, Kirk Heinrich, um, you know, Jordan Crawford, like, well, actually Jordan Crawford was the rookie they drafted, my fault. Uh, and Gilbert Arenas is still here. This is pre uh, the Javaris Crittenton incident, but that's coming. <clears throat> uh, PG, I mean, he's the best player in this draft. There's no doubt about it. I really don't know what else I could say to to further this. Um, you just got to hope that he stays healthy and never runs into that stanchion. And yeah, there you go. Well, I don't think this would definitely would impact that uh, unfortunate incident anyway. But what I find interesting is how going forward uh, with the Washington Wizards, how a Paul George and Bradley Beal uh, combo might be different than a John Wall and Bradley Beal combo. I mean, it's really interesting to think about both of those two guys in the wings, or maybe they would move Beal and have him sort of be like a pseudo point guard, like a scoring point guard. I, I think that the, the the possibilities are very interesting with that specific combination. Yeah, that'd be a fun wing. And yeah, Beal kind of became this creator a little bit later in his career, right? So yeah. maybe this forces him or allows him or whatever to do it because it's not John Wall there. So uh, just, I, I did have Paul Jordan number, I'd see mine as well. So he was number one on my board, but he was also in a tier by himself. I just wanted, I did some high school stuff, like look where these guys were ranked. He was a three-star recruit out of high school and had like chosen three different schools. I think he was going to go to like Pepperdine and then it was Santa Clara. And I, those, those, all those schools may not be right before he ended up at Fresno state. So just interesting in a, bunch of names we're going to bring up guys are five-star recruits top of their class the guy at the top paul george was not yeah yeah very very interesting uh how he got almost i don't want to say he went unnoticed he was a he was a lottery pick in, in actuality anyway yep. but he was on the top of nobody's draft board he was just that guy that was at fresno that had a he clearly had an NBA body and NBA athleticism, but we weren't quite sure how he was going to pan out. He, he, he wasn't a guy that was handling the ball a ton. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And shout out to your uh, promo, Mike. I'm, I'm assuming you picked that song with, with the knowledge that the, the California guy was going to go number one. Well, yeah, there was a little bit of Fresno state uh, in there. So yeah, that's uh, at least that's what I'm going to tell everybody now that you brought that point up. <laughs> All right, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, uh, who at this point they're kind of on the uh, the 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 I don't want to say mediocre. They're they're a good franchise, uh, but they're they're kind of on the path that's going to lead them to to decide to take the process train a few years down the road, where they're clearly too good to be a high lottery team, even though they are in this draft, and then they're not quite good enough to make a championship run. Uh, what do we have right now? Uh, Drew Holiday, Andre Iguodala, and I think that's kind of my core at this point. Uh, I know we're going to get trade Drew Holiday down the road. I would like to encourage them not to do that. All right, well, this is a very obvious situation because the Sixers really don't have uh, – I mean, they have Drew Holiday, but you know what? I, I'm going to take that risk anyway. I'm going to go talent over fit here. Uh, from the University of Kentucky, the Philadelphia 76ers select John Wall. And I know there's a bit of recency bias where John Wall's career just 
took one of the steepest nosedives in NBA history after he tore his uh, ACL and then followed that up with touring his Achilles before he ever even got back to the court. But people forget he he was one of the dynamic uh, open floor players in the entire league. Uh, really big, really big point guard. People forget that he's like six, five uh, has all the speed, all the power that you could want out of a point guard. He never quite had that elite outside uh, perimeter shooting game that I think people were hoping he would develop. But nonetheless, uh, he was a guy that at one point had the Wizards as one of the top six or seven teams in the NBA. And I don't think that should be forgotten. Uh, how he mixes with the Sixers, uh, I you look, pair him, Drew Holiday, uh, get Andre Iguodala in there. I, I think that's a fantastic uh, combination with everybody involved. Hopefully they won't trade Andre Iguodala for Andrew Bynum uh, next next offseason. I, I think if they keep this trio together, uh, it may not be a perfect fit, but I think there's so much talent, so much athleticism there. I mean, think about it. Like, Holiday, Wall, and Andre Iguodala all in their athletic prime. I mean, that's a, that is a hell of an exciting core. Just get a little bit of outside shooting around that, and I think that they could be a dynamite team moving forward. I actually really like uh, this this path that I've chosen for the Sixers. Yeah, it's a squad there. I like that. Um, well, I'm going to wait for this point until we go a little bit further. So, um, But, yeah, I think John Wall, five-time All-Star, All-NBA third team, All-NBA defensive second team, was a slam dunk champion. Like, John Wall was really, really good, and I think sometimes we just forget how good these guys are. See, I, I kind of had a counterpoint to all that. Like, no doubt John Wall is is great player. Great player. Uh, deserves to go number two. I went fit on this one in my mock, and I'm not afraid to kind of spoil what I was going to do. But uh, so I just looked at their, you know, their roster, and they said they had, they had Drew Holiday on that team. Uh, and I thought, well, that's a pretty decent starting point guard right there. What they didn't have was a center. And I thought DeMarcus Cousins would have fit perfectly for this 41 and 41 team and probably would have helped them get over some humps. Yeah, believe, believe it or not, I was tempted to go fit, but that wasn't the fit I was looking at. Uh, we, we will get to him uh, probably shortly. Uh, the, the third pick, the New Jersey Nets, they are still in New Jersey for just a little more, for just a little while longer. Uh, they have, I'm not sure if, you know, they, they've already traded Jason Kidd at this point. Uh, and Vince Carter's gone. So they're in just total rebuild mode. Uh, they are terrible right now <laughs> uh, outside of, uh, I think, uh, Brooke Lopez is Brooke on the Lopez. team. But outside of that, yeah. So 12, uh, 12 yeah. and 70, 30th in points per game. Get this, guys, 92.4 points per game. And I realize this was a different era, but 92.4 points per game this past season. That's uh. All right. All right, so uh, representing the New Jersey Nets, or this terrible, terrible version of the New Jersey Nets, is our guest host, Bryce Simon. Who do you have for us today? Yeah, I am going to take DeMarcus Cousins. They took okay. Derek Favors. I'm going to take Cousins, four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA second team, won a gold medal, won a World Cup, 2010-3 and three career average in the regular season, had some seasons where he spaced the floor pretty well. Again, another guy with injuries. I think that's been – what I thought was interesting was – George, Wall, Cousins, a few of these guys were, you know, one of the guys for sure that's going to come up in the next few picks. A lot of injuries that this group has dealt with at the top. But to me, I have a tear break right here after Wall and Cousins. 
I think he's a perfect fit for in a lot of ways for the Nets. And so I feel very comfortable taking him. Now, you're not at all worried about the the fact that your two best players by far play the same position? No, I'm okay with it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll roll with it, and uh, I'll let Cousins and Lopez – can Lopez space the floor at this point in his career? No, no. He didn't okay. start attempting threes okay. until, I think, year four or five, I think. So we'll speed up that process from Brooke in, in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have a tier break and my overall draft philosophy is not to break tiers based on fit. Yeah. So. Agreed. All right. So circling back around, uh, Mike, you are representing the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, you've got Kevin Love right now and uh, you've got Kevin Love right now. So, <laughs> so as long as you don't, as long as you don't pick a floor bound stretch four that loves to rebound, I think we're good on uh, roster duplication here. Nope, I, uh, I I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna pick this uh, this kid from this little school called Butler that uh, totally shocked the world uh, in, in March and uh, led led that team to the national championship game. I'm gonna take Gordon Hayward. Um, interesting enough, the second player I've drafted today that suffered through a horrible leg injury, like a gruesome leg injury. Hopefully that one doesn't happen either. I I really I not to dwell on the point too much, but. If, if he never would have got hurt in Boston, I think that team would have been very, very good. Um, but it is what it is. And now he's now he's in Minnesota. They don't they don't really have any small forward help here outside of Michael Beasley, and we kind of know where that's going to go. Um, Anthony Tolliver's on this team for uh, Pistons fans who love him. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. I think he brings a lot more scoring here. They they totally botched trying to find a point guard last year by drafting. Johnny Flynn, of them, all of them, but Steph Curry, all of them, but Steph Curry. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be somewhat of a redemption moment here with uh, Gordon Hayward, who's a solid small forward for them. All right. So this might have come to as a shock to both of you guys, but uh, I actually had Gordon Hayward third on my, uh, okay. on my board above, above DeMarcus Cousins. The reason is I did too. DeMar- DeMarcus Cousins okay. in terms of talent is easily the most talented player in this draft. But there's a reason why none of us would have picked him number one is because uh, he was so mistake prone. He, he didn't have great self-control uh, for all of the points and rebounds he put up. He committed a ton of turnovers. He committed a lot of dumb fouls. His defense was never very disciplined. Uh, Gordon Hayward, uh, I have above Cousins simply because, well, well, he was a legitimate two-way player and he proved that he could be the best player on, on, a, on a 50 win Utah team when he was averaging over 20 points a game. I, I think those are all very important things because, as you like to say, Mike, you, you like it when guys score uh, points in, in games that matter. I thought uh, Gordon Hayward played a lot of games that matter. I don't remember DeMarcus Cousins uh, doing the same. Yeah, I mean, looking at his regular season to playoff, you know, his playoff stats pretty much stayed the same. I just want to say I was there. The one final four I've ever been to was that one. That's the one I was at. I was there with my dad and we had a perfect view. I'm showing it with my hands on the zoom. Like people are actually (laughs) going to see this, but we had the perfect view. We were really high, but the perfect view of the half court shot and you could tell it had a chance as it was flying through the air there against Duke, Um, you know, and that was in Indianapolis. So that final four was just crazy. Um, Was always a fan of, of Gordon Hayward after that, but Really good player. Everything you said is right, Keith. I mean, just a guy that 
that did it on both ends of the floor and just can really fit into any team context. Yeah, the, I, I was so convinced Butler was going to win the NCAA championship. That entire tournament I was. Even when we took that shot from half court, uh, Hayward did, I was convinced it was going to bank in. Yeah. I just thought it was they were a team of destiny. I was wrong, but it's they were they were th- that it was just so much fun to watch that playoff run. Anytime a small school makes a deep run, I think it's great. All right, so uh, the number five pick in the draft uh, belongs to me, representing the Sacramento Kings. And my God, this is just looking at this roster. You can see how they went like eighteen years without making the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. And then they have the reigning rookie of the year too, and Tyreek Evans. And this is still like a hopeless roster. So I can go pretty much anywhere I want to here. Um, and the problem is that I think that, see, this is where my tear break was after the fourth pick. Ooh, okay. Makes so sense. now, now I'm kind of struggling. All right. You know what? I, I'm going to go with uh, unexciting, but sensible. Uh, I am going to pick out of, I think it was Georgia Tech, I believe, uh, Derek Favors. Uh, Sacramento Kings select Derek Favors. We can't get to Marcus Cousins. That's fine. Uh, We are going to get someone that scores a lot fewer points, but plays a lot better defense than DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, A a player that I compared going into the draft to Buck Williams. And look, I I was a little bit wrong there because Buck Williams was an all-star and he never quite rose to that level but he had the same style of play where Derek Derek Favors was a guy that he was a rebounder he was an enforcer he could finish around the rim Uh, he he was that type of role player that I think every team wants even though every team it's never the spectacular popular uh, addition to your team but he's he's that glue guy the guy that helps everyone else do their jobs and look in most drafts he would not go in the top six or seven uh, but I think there's such a significant break after the fourth pick here. I, I think I feel good drafting for fit as opposed to talent. Okay. Uh, so the number six pick uh, belongs to the Golden State Warriors, who now have Steph Curry in tow. Uh, they, they're not quite to Clay Thompson yet, but they're getting there. Uh, Bryce, uh, who do you think would fit with this team going forward? Okay, so I have two guys left in this tier. I assumed one of them would be gone, and this would be easy. So these Warriors were second in points per game. So remember I said the Nets averaged 92.4. These Warriors averaged 108.8. Now they are also first in pace, 30th in opponents' points per game. So they're not defending anybody. Maggetti and Morrow are leaving in the offseason. We know eventually Monte Ellis is gone. So I will just – I will – give away my board here. I have Eric Bledsoe and Hassan Whiteside. I think Hassan Whiteside is not going to be the same for everybody, but I think he had a really good peak and a really good five-year run. He was an all-defensive second team, led the league in blocks. Bledsoe, I think, fits if Monte is leaving and McGetty's gone. <laughs> It's tough because you have the, the strength of your team is all in the backcourt. Yes. And I see, I have there, I don't know about your board, but I have a lot of guards at the top of my board. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All I, I'm going to go with, 
I thought Hassan Whiteside was really good there for, like I say, he had a good five-year run. He had a 17 and 14 peak. He had a year we averaged almost four blocks. I know it didn't last. I probably should take Eric Butts. I'm going to take Hassan Whiteside. I'm just going to do okay. it. I don't know that this is I, – I expect some critiques here, but that's what I'm going to do. So Hassan Whiteside for the Warriors. I like that. I I, I had Whiteside going a little earlier to the Kings, but um, but that makes sense with the Warriors. I, I think that he ultimately would be a better – I know it's a little farther down the road, but I think he's a better answer than Bogut. All right, so here's here's where I'm terrified of drafting Hassan Whiteside to any team, uh, is because Hassan Whiteside is as you brought up, he was actually drafted by the Kings, but the problem is he had to fail before he got himself yep. together. Sure. He was out of the league entirely after two years, and he took him another two years to get back. That's so a good, that's a good point, right? The, he's one yeah. of those the first team isn't going to get the best version of him. right. Yeah, and then Miami, which was the perfect team for him, that forced him uh, to get in shape, forced him to to narrow his game down to the things that he does best, and they, they got the best out of him. I just don't know if the Warriors are that team for him in, in the state that they are now. If he can hold on just a few years, maybe, just maybe, uh, that, that future can change for him. I'm just – I would have been scared to draft Hassan Whiteside at, at pick 15, to be honest with you. It's just <laughs> – it, it's it's one of those guys that I really didn't want to have to draft. Okay, so uh, coming back around a third time, and this is the pick we're all waiting for. Uh, the Detroit Pistons are on the clock at number seven. Uh, Mike, you you selected Johnny Flynn for us last last time around. Who have you got for us this time? Well, uh, I'm going to do better than Johnny Flynn this time, but probably not the guy that everyone thinks I'm going to take. So um, I think the obvious move here would be to take Eric Bledsoe because he's probably the best player left on the, on both of your boards. Um, but he's not, he's not the best player left on my board. Uh, yeah. The best, the best player left on my board. Uh, well, just had a, just had a documentary movie made about him not too long ago. Uh, from the University of Harvard. Yeah, the University of Harvard. Harvard, from Harvard College, whatever it is. <laughs> University, I don't know. From Harvard State University, uh, Jeremy Lin to the Detroit Pistons. Wow. Uh, Lin Sanity happens in Detroit instead of Madison Square Garden. Uh, look, I mean, this team is, <laughs> it's not good. It's not yeah. good. Right now, the point guard situation for this team is Rodney Stuckey and Will Bynum. Um, their improvement is, is very much needed. And I think that Jeremy Lin is a better player than both of those guys. And I think he's a better facilitator than both those guys. And I think ultimately, um, you know, we've seen what this kid can do, you know, 38 points against the Lakers, uh, unbelievable game. Um, I think that he made some poor choices after being with New York. I think he should have stayed there. And I think maybe that reflects on, what happened for the duration of his career after that. But I think in Detroit, he's an immediate star on a really so, Yeah. The, uh, look, you're right. Eric Bledsoe was the, the highest rated player on my board, but you know what? Jeremy Lin was right behind him. 
I absolutely loved uh, Jeremy Jeremy Lin's game. I thought he he was a one of those guys that was a, a competent starter on any NBA team, but a really good backup uh, on a championship level team. And he he actually did play that out uh, in Toronto, even though I don't know if he was their primary backup or not to Kyle Lowry. But yeah, Jeremy Lin was one of those guys that everyone see remembers today as having that ten seconds of or fifteen seconds of fame uh, as a Nick, where he just took over the league for about two weeks. But people remember it in the way that he kind of fizzled out afterwards, and that's far, very far from the truth. He had a very long, very distinguished career in the NBA. Hell of a pick-and-roll point guard. Uh, I absolutely uh, love this pick for the Pistons, believe it or not. That's probably who I would have picked, because I certainly wouldn't have picked Eric Bledsoe to add to a team that already has too many shooting guards masquerading as point guards. So actually, I love this pick, Mike. Perfect. Uh, that went a lot better than I thought it was going to go. He was lower on my board. I will say that. So this, this is going to get fun. Yeah. I just, I, there, there are so few playmakers left on, on my board. And I, it, it, it uh, Jeremy Lynn was absolutely a playmaker in my opinion. Uh, he was maybe not a super high level playmaker. Uh, he could really only go one way uh, over the screen, but he found a way to keep doing it over and over again to the point where he got paid a lot of money in the NBA. I'm glad you said what you said though. Like everybody thinks he was just this 10 seconds of fame and then had no other NBA career. And you know, it's, it's the same thing with like Darko, right? Darko right. never lived up to where he was drafted, but Darko still had a decent NBA career. It wasn't like he flamed out after one year and never played or contributed in the NBA at all, which is, I think, how people kind of remember him. And, you know, Jeremy Lin is an NBA champ, the first Asian-American ever to win an NBA championship. Um, you know, he had a 13-3-6, and six, you know, I think was his peak season, but that's still good NBA minutes. So I, I thought you made a good point with that, Keith, and that's one I wanted to make as well, if especially if you hadn't. So, All right, so coming up next are the LA Clippers, who – are really look you see the Clippers in the top 10 and you figure they're a bad team and this is actually not the case because the only reason the Clippers are in the lottery at all is because Blake Griffin uh, busted his kneecap and missed all of the previous season so they're about to get him back and they have DeAndre Jordan they, they have a lot of talent on this team it's young talent but it's developing and I'm, I'm going to throw a little, little bit of curveball here uh, I am once again going to pass over the the highest rated player on my board in Eric Bledsoe, even though I thought he did well with the Clippers. I think there's a guy here that fits better, and that's Avery Bradley. Uh, a Avery Bradley, <laughs> once again with recency bias, we think of him as the guy that uh, flamed out in Detroit and everywhere else after he left Boston, but we, we keep forgetting that he was a multiple-time uh, defensive, all defensive player in Boston. He was a, a very good, efficient two-way guard. Uh, he was a guy that was guarding Dwayne Wade in the playoffs consistently and doing it pretty well. And if you're looking at the Clippers and how a lot of their playoff defeats went down, it's it's because they could they didn't guard the perimeter very well. And I, I think Avery Bradley, to me, if you can get him in his younger years when he was a, a defensive menace. I think he was a guy that that absolutely could affect the playoff series, uh, even though he wasn't a dynamic offensive player. 
So I, I'm looking forward to what this evolution of the Clippers looks like once they once they get Chris Paul a, a year or two from now and they really become a, a legitimate uh, NBA championship contender. I like that pick. Okay. It's going to make my pick way easier. Yeah. All right. Bryce is up uh, with the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see Bryce celebrating here. He he really liked, liked that uh, selection of Avery Bradley. I don't think it was because of what I did, though. No, I mean, so I, I was going to have a hard time if you left both of them on the board. And, like, at this point, I'll say I had Bledsoe in my, what would it be, third tier of players. Um, like, I just, like I say, I have a draft philosophy. It goes to no matter, you know, one, something like this or the actual NBA draft if, anybody actually asked my opinion. So I'm going to take Eric Bledsoe here for the jazz. Um, you know, they're a top 10 team offense and defense. They made it to the conference semis. I think Boozer leaves in the off season, but they bring back Deron Williams, AK 47, Paul Millsap have all of those guys back. Um, Bledsoe was a, you know, all NBA defensive guy, first and second team. You know, I, I understand there's some issues, but I, I just, I have to take Eric Bledsoe at this point. Um, just based off how my board has fallen. So I will add him. I will say one of the worst takes I ever had was not being that impressed by the Drew Holiday, Eric Bledsoe swap. Like I was, I'm still an NBA casual, but I was definitely a casual back then. And it's like, oh, what, you know, this isn't going to be that big of a deal. That shows how much I knew back in those days. Also that trade involved Pistons legend, RJ Hampton. I thought that was interesting as I was doing some research on these guys, that four team huh. deal. Yeah. It was a four team trade between the, the Drew holiday and Eric Bledsoe trade. So. Yeah. Um, Eric Bledsoe, I, I remember specifically one of the, the, the all defensive selections he got in Milwaukee raised a lot of eyebrows because a lot of people didn't think he was that good a defender and Drew holiday absolutely was, but yep. yeah. Yeah. Bledsoe has had kind of a weird career where everyone, no one has really liked him because he's kind of been this combo guard that couldn't run an offense, but also wasn't big enough to be a full-time two. Uh, but at the same time, he made a lot of his money in the NBA as a two-way player that in his at his peak was averaging between 17, 18, 20 points a game. Yep. And, and doing it despite the fact that everyone on the floor knew that he wasn't a very good outside shooter. So it's one of those things where perception doesn't quite match reality where, yeah, he, he wasn't like the ideal franchise foundation piece, but he was still a very good player for a, a very good amount of time. And he, he was absolutely one of the top 10 players in this class. And he was arguably one of the top five, depending on who you ask. Okay. So hmm. uh, two, two more trips around uh, representing the Indiana Pacers is my co-host, Mike Payton. Uh, that we have robbed them of Paul George, who continues to be the gift that keeps on giving for the Pacers, uh, <laughs> considering they turned Paul George into Demonis Sabonis and they turned Demonis Sabonis into Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> so I, I will I will credit James Edwards the third for that. Uh, he, he's the one that made that point last week. I, I will reiterate it here, but it is a great point that Paul George, despite uh, essentially screwing over the Pacers by demanding a trade has essentially set them up for the next decade. All right. So uh, after that, uh, Mike, what do you got for us? Well, this is, uh, yeah, 
It's uh, things are getting a little more difficult here. We're getting <laughs> kind of towards the bottom of the board here. Um, I think the best thing to do is uh, I'm going to take the guy who originally went number two in this draft. Uh, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give the Pacers Evan Turner. Okay. And I know they have Danny Granger there playing small four, but Evan's played some two in his, in his career. And I think that he could probably do that here as well. Him and Darren Collison in the backcourt. I think that maybe he has a better chance with Indiana, a uh, better chance to succeed with Indiana than he did with Philadelphia. I, I really thought that, I mean, for a long time, I thought Evan Turner was better than, than what he actually wound up being. And uh, I, I think maybe in Indiana, he could kind of turn out to be the player that maybe some of us thought he was going to be when he was coming out of Ohio state. Yeah. Evan Turner is one of those. All right. So I think one of the things that concerns me the most about a prospect and, and Bryce being a far more established uh, a scout than I am can weigh in on this. But one of the things that worries me the most is, is the jack of all trades guy that doesn't have that one elite skill that, that can, that he can use as a foundation to establish himself in the NBA. And that is exactly what Evan Turner was to me. He was a guy that was pretty good at just about everything, but not great at anything. And I think that's why he kind of struggled uh, to live up to that top top two pick height that he had. Keith, this is almost the Kobe Bufkin worry, right? Like if you're worried about yeah. Kobe Bufkin not making it in the NBA, which I'm not saying I am. I'm a huge Kobe Bufkin fan. But if you ask me his elite skill in the NBA, I'm not so sure I could tell you because I think he's a really good defender, but he's also very skinny right now. But if you ask me what Kobe Bufkin's biggest weakness was, I'm sure you could come up with one, but there's not one like just, oh my gosh, this is super, super worrisome. Like he can't shoot or he can't do this. So no, I think it, it it's really hard to evaluate, right? Whenever you just don't know what this player can hang their hat on. With that said, Evan Turner still did play, you know, I call them real regular seasons, nine real regular seasons at NBA where he averaged 10, four and four. So he still carved out, a, he had a 17, six and four season, which kind of surprised me to have a peak season like that. So um, obviously didn't live up to number two hype, but still had a, a decent NBA career. 63 career playoff games for Evan Turner. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that Evan Turner was a, a failure as an NBA player. I don't, I'm not trying to portray it as that. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. He, he clearly wasn't as good as he was billed as, as a top three player. And I just, the thing that I think about, uh, the thing that comes to my mind when I think about Evan Turner is, is that he, there's nothing that really stood out about him other than he was a good all around player, but that only, that only matters if you have, you know, one or two elite skills that you can really build your career on. I just don't think he ever had that. All right. So now this is an interesting one. Now, on, on behalf of the, the New Orleans uh, uh, Hornets, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder have the 11th pick in this draft. And we, we've at this point, we're set. We've got uh, James Harden. We've got Russell Westbrook. We've got Kevin Durant. Uh, we've got Jeff Green still. We're ready to go. So really what I'm looking for is like a win now. And they have a Baca too. So they, they're, their whole core is already there. They're only... Actually, they're going to be in the conference finals this coming season. So who am I going to give them that is really going to help them immediately? And I see a couple of guys on my list. 
And one of them is kind of a reach, but he, man, he, he fits what they need so damn much. Um, you know what? I'm going to do it. Uh, I am going to do it for a couple of reasons, which I will explain in a minute. The, the, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Boban Yamarjanovic. And I, I make this selection for two reasons. One, they don't really have a center right now. That's the one thing. Uh, Sergi Baca, not really equipped to play that position at this point in his career. And also, this is going to heavily discourage the Thunder from trading Jeff Green for Kendrick Perkins, who I cannot stand. Uh, he, he was an okay traditional center, but he was essentially 2010's Greg Kite. Uh, he, he has lived off of that 2008 Celtics ring for way too long. And I thought the history bared that out. I thought I thought even though they made it to the finals, I thought the Thunder were a worse team uh, without Jeff Green than they were with uh, with Kendrick Perkins. So I'm going to select Bojan Marjanovic uh, in all of his seven foot three uh, post scoring glory. I, I know he's not going to be a very high impact player. He can only play a certain amount of time uh, before he gets exposed defensively. But I'll, I'll tell you what, he was a really good offensive player. Or he still is, really. But, I mean, he's he's a very good low post scorer. He's a guy that can attack mismatches, which is the one thing that when Miami went small in the 2012 finals that Perkins could not do at all. I'm not going to say he's going to swing the, the NBA finals in favor of Oklahoma City, but I, I think this creates a bit of a domino effect where maybe they hold on to Jeff Green, uh, as they should have. I love Bowen. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. He really is. I love watching him play, even though it's like five minutes. I great touch around the rim, uh, great size. Not that bad of a, a rim protector. He just a little bit too slow footed for yeah. twenty twenty three basketball. But I think if I I still believe to this day, if you just play, have a really good zone and, and have some group, really good defenders around him, I think I still think he can exist. Sure. He really gave John Wick a run for his money. That's for sure. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the the number uh, twelve pick in this draft, uh, Bryce Simon, with an equally interesting pick, the the Memphis Grizzlies, who are about to begin their uh, their run as uh, contenders in the West. Uh, who do you got for us? I hate this. So yeah, Mike Conley, OJ Mayo, Rudy Gay, Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol. Randolph is the oldest of those guys at twenty eight years old. Oh man, I don't like it because here's here's my problem. I think there's two guys that are more talented overall that I have in this tier. And then there's a bunch of guys I think fit better just in terms of, hey, we just need a guy to come in and, and play off the bench. But that completely breaks my draft philosophy. So I have to stay with that. I'm going to take Greg Monroe here Ooh. and hope that I can convince him to be the third big coming off the bench behind Randolph and Marcus Ole. And I probably fail at that endeavor, but I'm going to try it. 13, eight and two assists um, for his career, 16 and 10 in his peak, former five-star recruit. Um, like I say, I just got to stick to it. So I'm going to take Greg Monroe. Yeah, here's the interesting thing about Greg Monroe. I mean, when you're comparing it to the rest of this draft class, uh, Greg Monroe has played the 
all right, if you just took out the the minutes that he played in Detroit and Milwaukee, which is essentially the first what one, two, three, four, five, seven years of his career, seven and a half, and he and you just end his career right there. He still has the seventh most minutes played of this entire draft class. Wow. If his career ended six years ago, it, he still would have played the seventh most minutes of anyone in this class. I, look, I'm not going to say that that Greg Monroe would his career would have turned out anywhere uh, any differently had he been drafted somewhere else. Uh, he had multiple chances to come back on multiple teams, and he just couldn't make it work, and that's fine. He had two outstanding weaknesses. One, he was a terrible defender because his feet were just way too slow. And he couldn't shoot from the outside, and he's never been able to rectify either of those. Uh, but look, as an interior player, I'll tell you what, I think he finds a nice little home in Memphis backing up um, Zach Randolph and uh, Marcus Gasol. I don't think there's as much pressure on him to perform. I think maybe he doesn't flame out quite as fast uh, because as a backup, he's not putting up the kind of numbers that's going to demand him a max contract. And then he would fail to live up to those expectations like he did uh, in Milwaukee. So I, I think there's a little more hope for him in Memphis, but look, I, you're at this point, he's just the most talented player left on the board. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I was say he's, the, he's the highest player on my board and I can see a world like you outlined where it, it works and I can see a world where he's not happy backing those guys up, but um, like you say, a little less pressure maybe comes along. And and there's still plenty of minutes, right? If you three, play a three-big-man rotation, that's still a lot of minutes to go around. So, Well, we got a little bit of a breaking news to, to put out here. This is stupid, and I hate it. Uh, but the, uh, the in-season tournament, it's a go. December 7th, December 9th. Uh, I think it's incredibly dumb. I don't know why they're doing it. I'm not going to watch it. I don't think anybody else will. They'll get rid of it after a couple of years. Uh, in Vegas. In Las Vegas, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't. So now they're going to fly teams out to Las Vegas in the middle of the season to do these two games. It's so, I don't know, whatever, whatever. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are up, and I am going to be picking for them. Uh, this team just lost Chris Bosch and that is a hard, hard thing to replace. And I'm not going to be able to do it, but what I can do is put somebody who is at least the same position, uh, in, in the lineup. And I, I think Al Farouk Aminu is probably the best way to go. Um, Keith and I talked off, off the air about uh, a different player, but we used the word, uh, what was it? Dirty. A dirty, dirty work guy, yeah. Dirty work guy, and that's exactly what Alfaru Camino is—just a guy who's going to go out there, play defense. He's never going to light up the box score, but he's going to—you know—he's there. He's going to play hard, um, and th- and that's you know that's kind of what the Raptors need at, at this point. And uh, there's really nothing that we can do from this from this draft spot to make them any better. So, Alfaru Camino is who I'm going. Yeah, there's really nothing much to say about this. The Raptors are are bad without Chris Bosh, and they're going to continue to be bad for at least a, set, a few years until they get Lowry into Rosen. All right, the number 14 pick is the Houston Rockets, and man, uh, if you look at this roster, this is something. Uh, they've got Kyle Lowry, who I just mentioned. They've got Luis Scola, a good player. Uh, Kevin Martin, who is still an all-star caliber player, 23 and a half points a game. Uh 
this team won 43 games and they could have won 50 uh, had Yao Ming not broken his foot for, for the final time in his career and his seat, his career essentially ended five games uh, into the season. Uh, and they have Shane Bettier. They've got, I mean, th this is a really nice team. Okay. So who, who do I put on this team going forward? Hmm. <laughs> Well, it's weird because they got so many guards and they got forwards and they they've got the the ghost of Brad Miller now at center, averaging six points a game. I, I mean, they could use a wing. I don't see a good wing on here. They could use a big man. I don't see a good big man on here. So I am just going to draft the best player on my board, and that is going to be one Ish Smith out of Wake Forest. Uh, Ish Smith probably won't get a whole lot of playing time on this Rockets team. Uh, because they've got Aaron Brooks, they've got Kyle Lowry, but I, we all know they're going to move on from Kyle Lowry. And Aaron Brooks is, you know, he's he's never with a team very long for more than one or two years. I think once Ish Smith uh, gets an opportunity to play, as we've all seen, he, he is a legitimate NBA player, a competent starter, really, really good backup point guard. Uh, look, there's there's nothing franchise changing about this pick. I just think five, six, seven years from now when he's backing up James Harden, I think you have potential for an impact uh, like third guard there. So uh, with the final pick of our 2010 redraft, and this has been this has been something. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks on behalf of the Chicago Bulls, uh, they will be selecting with our last pick and, and Bryce, you have the honor of making our final selection. All right. So I have Andrew Bogut, Brandon Jennings, Michael Red on this roster. A team that went 46 and 36, was pretty decent defensively, needs a little bit of scoring punch. Oh. All right. I'm just going to stick with my rules, even though I, I like a few other guys. I'm going to take Lance Stevenson. I don't Ooh. think this I don't think this makes any sense at all for, for the roster. <laughs> but again, I'm not gonna break tiers. And as I look at this now, he probably shouldn't be a tier above any of these other guys. Um maybe I'm going with a little more name than game here, but he's a guy that ends up playing 57 games in his at playoff games in his career. 11, 6, and 3 in the playoffs. Had a really nice peak season, 14-7-5, and five, shooting 35% from three. I wish he spaced the floor a little bit better. He's obviously going to come off the bench with the current iteration of the roster. But, uh, again, I'm going to stay with my rules. So I will make Lance Stevenson the final selection of our draft today. Yeah, Lance, one of those guys that was un considered under underrated in Indiana for such a long time to the point where he became extremely overrated. Yeah. And then Michael Jordan threw, threw a uh, backed up the Brinks truck and, and threw so much money at him and immediately regretted it. A very, very weird player once led the NBA in triple doubles at one point, which kind of one tells you uh, about Lance Lance's ability. And on the other hand, kind of tells you about the state of the NBA and, I think 2014, I think it was, or 2013 or 2014, uh, where just not many guys were getting triple doubles at that point. Uh, but yeah, look, you, you can't really complain about any of these picks. Uh, 
at this point because they're all kind of bunched up. I want to give a shout out to Nemanja Belizia, who I I wanted to draft. I wanted to draft him for like six picks, and I just couldn't find a good fit for him. He was the uh, next guy on my board, Keith, and almost like he almost just made enough sense. To, that that's who I would have selected if it wasn't Stevenson. Yeah, I, I really wanted him for for the Thunder too, but you know the image of Kendrick Perkins's face just popped in my head. I'm like, <laughs> I can't allow this to happen. I, I need I need to change things. I need to step on a butterfly here. All right, but before we finish, uh, I there is one player that did not get selected that uh, I hear you have a, a personal anecdote you like to share <laughs> about one Grievous Vasquez, Bryce. Let's no, hear. I just I try not to like uh, self plug or take victory, whatever it is. I just I, I have this draft, and I just wanted to let people know that back in my playing days. American University, not led by me, but I was part of the team. I had 19 points that night, went into Maryland and knocked off the Grievous Vasquez Maryland Terrapins at Maryland and right before Christmas break. So, um, and just so people know, after that win, I think we played them again the next year and then they canceled the contract for like 10 years, you know, because Americans right there in DC, that doesn't look all that great. The little, little American U coming in. Um, I don't think they even made the tournament that year. Um, so it's not like it was a great team. But, yes, I, I th- that's one of my claim to fames. I don't know how good it is, but the, the college team I played on, we did knock off Grievous Vasquez in Maryland, and it was actually, I believe, the sc- highest scoring output of, of my college career. So What would you put but, up? Let's hear your stat line. I think yeah, I, I think I had ni- 18 or 19, something like that. Okay. So. All right. Yep. We'll have to check your basketball reference page. Don't, please don't. So if you do check my basketball reference page, I'm pretty sure it says I'm from Syracuse, New York, which is obviously not true. So is there any way to correct that? I don't know. But that tells you how good I am that they don't – yeah, says Syracuse, New York. So that's how good I am was that they don't even have the right uh, state for me. They do have my birthday correct. So. All right. Well, that's going to that's going to wrap up the 2010 NBA draft. I do have one little tiny thing before we go to, uh, you know, get to the end of the show here. Keith uh, and I talked on the John Spider Sally episode about John Sally's house. Well, Keith, guess what? It is currently for sale. (laughs) It's on Zillow listed at nine million dollars. It could be yours. It's a 12 bedroom, 14 bath, 34,134 square feet. Um, it needs, needs a lot of work, man. Whoever lived in it previously, uh, definitely did not well, treat it's, it very it's well. To the, it's belonged to the, the Catholic church for the majority of its existence in like a hundred years. I think John Sally was probably the only, um, a non, uh, Bishop that, that ever lived there. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anybody's interested uh, or just wants to buy the house for Keith and I, uh, you know, go ahead and pony up the dough. Keith will take one half and I'll take the other. Um, but yeah, which I just thought that was interesting. We were it's kind a, of, it's the, it's the single largest house in Detroit. Uh, yeah. We would need yeah, 20 other people to make that work. Yep. Uh, so that's going to do it for, for this week's episode. Uh, Bryce, please take this time to, uh, you know, sell yourself, your your Twitter bio, your everything out there. Let the world know where they can find you and, and what you're working on. 
Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops, obviously, if you're a Pistons fan, uh, follow on there. That's most of what I do. But I've got a lot more into the NBA draft world recently, even, you know, grassroots, prep hoops, stuff like that. So anything like that, high school, NBA draft, college, uh, doing more work there and, and tweeting out about more of that stuff. And then, of course, uh, I put work out for the draft at Draft Digest. And then the Pistons Pulse podcast drops every Tuesday with my guy Omari Sankofa, the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. We do record those live on the Free Press YouTube. So if you want to join those, we don't have them regularly scheduled just whenever we can make it happen, but would love to have you tune in and watch with us there. So Mike, Keith, man, I enjoy you guys so much. I appreciate you having me on. I know we had the technical difficulties, but it was more than worth it to, to make it through and, and talk hoops yeah. with you guys. By, by the right, by the way, I'm I am looking at the box score. Uh, <laughs> but actually, no, it says you lost to American. So th this must be the year before I should be looking at. So, so yeah, you'd have to go 0708. Okay. So, yep. Yep. All right. I was gonna say because like your career high was three points. No. So I tore my ACL at the end of my junior year, and then tore yep, it again. Tore it again. Yeah. So I see you. Nothing from my senior year is very good because I was playing on a torn ACL. Yep. So. Uh, American 67, Maryland uh, 59. Uh, Mr. Bryce Simon was 5 for 11 from the field in 35 minutes played. Wow. Uh, 3 for 7 from 3, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, uh, 17 points, 4 turnovers, 3 fouls. I knew the turnovers were coming. I knew those were coming. <laughs> uh, was not the leading scorer on his team, however. He was upstaged by, uh, I'm assuming, your sixth man by the name of Derek Mercer. Uh, who scored eight? Derek Mercer was our starting point guard. Um, Derek Mercer. So miracle, you know, St. Anthony's um, where Bob Hurley coached at. Yeah. Derek, Derek Mercer is in that book, the miracle at St. Anthony's. He's, he was the point guard on that team. He was Patriot league player of the year. So we started back then five Mercer's probably five, eight, five, nine. Our shooting guard was like five, 10 Garrison Carr. And I think he was like second or third in the country and three pointers made that year. I, I assume Steph Curry led the country that season, but Garrison Carr was like second or third. So. Uh, yeah. Well, one side note, Grievous Vasquez also came off the bench in that game for some reason. Uh, it wasn't because he couldn't play because he scored 28 points with five rebounds and four assists. I was going to say, I, think, I knew Grievous had a really good game. I just remember we were not fans of his because in, in all of the scout film, anytime he'd make a shot, he'd pop his jersey after every single made shot. So we went into that game, but we beat him because we were a full 40 minutes a game man-to-man, -man, and actually Coach put in a 2-3 zone that game, and they just didn't have enough guys that could knock down shots. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, American clearly the best team in the DC area that season. You guys <laughs> made the tournament. We did. Yep. Uh, and Maryland did not. Maryland did not. So that I can't even call that an upset. <laughs> there you go, celebrities on top of celebrities on this show. Uh, so as for next week, um, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, as of just now, Keith just texted me no to an answer the to a question that I asked. We have a big guest coming. Yeah. It's not it's not going to be next week. Uh so we will uh we will see you next week with whatever it is we show up with. <laughs>